0: The gospel of Luke would be the great story and the good news of Jesus, the book of Acts ends up really giving to us then the good news and the story of the spirit of Jesus. And it's really the acts of the Holy Spirit as we have it at our last midweek. We took a look at Acts chapter one, and we'll just finish the year off by looking at Acts one and Acts two, and we'll finish off Acts two today and at midweek this this midweek. Uh, And get ready then as we go through the Christmas season and then ramp up for next year as we study. By the way, we're going to be studying the books of Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians as we really look at beholding Jesus and to be astounded by him. So turn with me, please, over to Acts chapter two. My sermon title today is it's nine o'clock somewhere. So we know that at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus tells them to remain in the city in Jerusalem until something pretty big is going to happen. He doesn't say exactly. He just talks about power and it's going to be a big deal. You don't want to miss it. Make sure you're there. And so there they are. And Jesus is with them for 40 days and they remain for another 10 days. In the city of Jerusalem. Even as everybody has has departed. Now they, they are seeing the crowds come back to Jerusalem on this day. And they've remained in Jerusalem. They, they went up to Galilee. They've come back to Jerusalem. And now great crowds come. Because in Jerusalem there are three mandatory feasts. And one of them is Pentecost. And that's the backdrop for what we're about to read right now. And At this mandatory feast, the other being Passover, Pentecost, and then ultimately the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the three mandatory feasts. But Jerusalem swells in size. Uh, Some estimates put it well beyond a million people during these feasts. So it it is now a packed out place. And remember that messianic fever has gripped this population for quite some time now, especially under the oppression of the Romans. Same story, same continuation that we've been reading in Luke. It's just now showing us how these men that have followed are now going to be set off on an astounding path because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound sound. Like the blowing of a violent wind. Now, wind in Hebrew is ruah. Spirit is ruah. Breath is ruah. And likewise in Greek, it's all the same word: numa, numa, numa. Uh, so whether it's breath or spirit or or wind, it's it's uh, kind of a, a fun little play with words that is going on here. So a violent wind came from heaven, and. When it says heaven here, this doesn't mean that it you know, came from the throne of God. Uh, heaven just means the sky, for the most part. Matter of fact, you've, you've heard of the third heaven. Well, there, there was always in the ancient world the idea of three heavens. The first heaven is blue sky. The second heaven is outer space. And the third heaven is the realm of God. So, first, second, and third heavens. So, when they, they talk of it, that, that's what they mean. So, I'm assuming we're just talking about a violent, big time wind has come now through the atmosphere. Uh, like the a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That's an important phrase, keep it in mind. When they heard this sound... And I would imagine it was like a freight train, you know, coming through. If if you've ever been anywhere where there's a violent wind that comes through. Uh, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Probably the way that they knew that there were Galileans was by their accent. So even though they were pulling off perhaps all of the languages um, on Earth at the time, I guess they still, even in the miraculous ability to speak those languages, still did it with an accent. (laughs) Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. (laughs) Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what's spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. And so as we see this scene of all scenes, the church gathered together for Pentecost. Keep in mind what all these crowds had in their mind as they came together. They came with excited anticipation. Because Pentecost was pregnant in meaning to each one of them. It had two radically wonderful meanings to them. The first they would call Zemin Matan Torah Tanu, which means the time of the giving of the law. Now, we think of Pentecost as the harvest festival where you bring in the sheaves. We will come rejoicing bringing in the sheaves. You bring in the, the great wheat harvest. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But before even that became the importance of this day, Pentecost is the Greek word that simply means 50. So it's 50 days after the crossing of the Red Sea, after the great Passover, uh, after the great exodus. So you have the first of all great feasts, the deliverance. But then 50 days later. You have something just as dear to the heart of every Jew that has ever gathered. It's the day when God made them his nation. It's the birthday of Israel in a sense. And on this day, it says in Exodus 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And by the way, when you look at Exodus 19, you can figure out even from the text, how many days it had been from the the Exodus and it, it's 50 days and it's, it's on this day that now fire consumes Mount Sinai and the giving of the law and the proclamation of the covenant with God's people is all to be delivered. It's an astounding day, but here's what Exodus says about this day. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on Eagle's wings and brought you to myself. What a dear image that is. What an encouraging image that is. If you're an Israelite, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, this covenant that he's making at this moment, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he says to Moses, these are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. It's the birthday of Israel, the birth of a nation on this great and glorious day. And it is also the the harvest of Shavuot. And it simply means 50 or weeks. Shavuot is is the word for, for weeks. But it is, according to Exodus 19, I'm sorry, uh, Leviticus 23. It is the harvest festival in Leviticus 23. It says about this day, just again, so we have backdrop of what we're seeing in this amazing passage of Acts 2. People coming together are coming with this mindset. Today's the day the law was given. Today's the day the Ten Commandments were given. Today's the day that God said, you're my people. I could have chosen anyone, but you're my treasured possession. Let's do this thing. And then the great harvest festival. Not only are they a nation, but they're being taken care of by God. When you're an agrarian society... You live and die based on your crops and to be able to have the benevolence and the bounty and providence of God to be able to give you another year's harvest and to be able to bring the first of that harvest as a big sheave to wave before the Lord on Pentecost on the great feast is a day of great rejoicing. As a matter of fact, it's a command that you come to this, this feast with rejoicing in your hearts and Leviticus 23 says from the day after the Sabbath. The day you brought the sheave of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off fifty days until the day of the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves. And this is very interesting. Two loaves. This is a unique command of God. Two loaves made of tenths of an ephah of the finest flour. Now listen to this. If you're a Jew, you're like, oh, really? And not only with the finest flour, but baked with yeast. In other words, put the leaven in. Go ahead. And bring it as a wave offering before the Lord and present And and the rest of the uh, stipulations are there. Here's what's what's interesting. Why two loaves? Well, perhaps the fulfillment of this is that there are both the Jews and then ultimately the Gentiles. And why still yeast? Why is it that it's not purified, unleavened bread? Well, here's the encouragement. Even as we are the harvest of God, brought together by the Holy Spirit of God into his harvest, we're still a work in progress. We still are leavened. We still have yeast. We still are being purified until the final great day of the Lord. When he appears and then Second uh, Thessalonians he tells us he will then make us completely pure, ready to be able to receive into heaven up with him. It's a very encouraging uh, festival of all festivals of not only realizing God's great plan and the ultimate harvest that comes with with Israel, but then also the harvest that then comes with with us as, as we're brought together by the apostles now. This this day of the, the Torah is interesting because we see on this day on Pentecost here in Acts chapter two, this phenomenon of the Holy Spirit rushing through and then fire separating into things that look like the shape of a tongue, which is is really just what a flame looks like. And so this these these flames then separate and come on the people. Now, what's interesting is there is a targum from Cairo Cairo. That says it's an ancient uh, Jewish Targum that says the first commandment talking about the 10 commandments uh, as this Exodus 19 event occurred on this day of Pentecost on this day of the giving of the Torah. The first commandment when it left the mouth of the Holy One went as meteors and lightning and as torches of fire, a fiery torch to its right, a fiery torch to its left, which burst forth. And flew in the air of the heavenly expanse. It proceeded to circle around the camp of Israel. This first Pentecost was attended by this phenomenon of fire. According to all the rabbinic tradition. One other very important rabbinic tradition. That that also happens on Pentecost. It is also the day when fire separated. Again according to rabbinic tradition. On the 70 elders. And as as it separated on the 70 elders, it enabled them to speak every language under heaven, which was 70 languages and thereby pulling out from all the nations, the Israelites, no matter what language they speak to gather them together back in unity with God, thereby reversing the curse of Babel, where all nations were scattered by separate languages. Now they're brought together, all Israelites, however, are brought together at the great Mount Sinai event. The giving of the Lord, you are my people. As a matter of fact, let me gather my people from all the nations, from wherever they've scattered, no matter what language they've learned. Come together and I will enable you to hear my law and to hear my covenant and to hear my blessing, no matter what language it is that you speak. You're starting to realize like, how cool Pentecost is then, right? Of, of realizing now what is like this ultimate fulfillment. Now the great fulfillment is. It's now in Acts chapter 2. It's not just the giving of the law. It's what Jesus says. I'm going to go and send you as my father promised. But stay. Stay until you've been clothed on high with power from on high. And, and these are Jesus's kind of concluding words. In the, the conclusion of Luke's gospel. Which you see tied in now. Now the power has come on his disciples. Why? So that they would be able to speak in every language under heaven, not just for the first loaf, not just for the first harvest, but for both loaves. So that all peoples, both Jew and Gentile, would be able to hear and to come and to gather. So that the separation of all the nations that had occurred at Babel under the arrogance of man now can be brought together in humility to the submission of God. Now, through the voice of every language under heaven, they can hear the new covenant. This is the day of the new covenant. And just as the first Pentecost was the birthday of Israel, the second great Pentecost is the birthday of the church. And we have that right here. And with the the great power of the spirit upon all the apostles, they proclaim the new covenant. Peter stands up to be able to show the fulfillment of all of the Old Covenant in Jesus Christ. But now something unusual happens as they are talking in every language that the Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and the uh, those from Phrygia and Pamphylia and the Egyptians, they all can hear it in their own native language. This is not some sort of gobbledygook that they were saying. This is not glossolalia. This is... Their own native language being spoken and being understood. A little bit of an accent, sure. But didn't get in the way of them being able to proclaim the new covenant. Which will ultimately really be ratified in Acts chapter 2 a little bit later on. We'll study that at midweek. But for right now, I want us to just marvel at what Jesus says here. You're going to wait. Because the power that's going to come in the epilogue, in Acts 1 and 2... This is what is going to empower you to bring about the fulfillment of why it is that I have come. And as it comes, you are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, a spirit not of timidity, but a spirit of power, love and self-discipline. As Paul instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8, this is the Holy Spirit that you've received. This is the spirit that flows from within you like streams of living water. This is the big difference between the old and the new covenant. The old covenant had no inclusion of the spirit dwelling within you and flowing within you like streams of living water. This is why all of those in the old covenant look at you longingly, wishing that that could have been their experience and a covenant with God. And you've got it. And this great outward attestation manifestation of the Holy Spirit is so terrific that the people there look at the apostles and the disciples and they hear what they're doing and all that's going on. And they say, I think they're drunk, but no, no, no. But this is interesting, right? If, if, for example, um, Elliot popped up and spoke a foreign language with his accent, (laughs) but you know, if if he, if he busted out in Hungarian, you you wouldn't think, oh my goodness, Elliot is drunk, right? Could you understand it? What do you speak? Bulgarian. All right, let's say, let's say, Elliot, all of a sudden, busts out in, oh, let's say, I don't know, Bulgarian. At 9.45 in the morning. Would, Would you then think to yourself, wow, That's a drunken man over there. I don't think so. No, what if he really did? No, I'm serious about this. What if he really did? I mean, he's speaking Bulgarian. I mean, throwing back Jack Daniels doesn't give you that ability. (laughs) Mad Dog 2020, like, got me through some weird situations in my youth. But it never got me through a Russian exam. <laughs> but I, I dare say, if Elliot popped up and started speaking Bulgarian right now and Tia broke out into Mandarin, right? And, and, and likewise, if, uh, if the chases in, in unison got up and you're just like, I mean, just busting it in French. And, and, and there are those of you who could speak those languages here. I think you'd be like, what in the world is going on? That's amazing. Like I, Elliot, where did you study? You're so good. Not your accent, but everything else is, is so good. Like, how is this happening? How can this be the case? Again, I, I don't think it was their ability to miraculously speak and immediately learn a, a foreign language so well that they could bring the gospel with that language. But yet, something about these men, as they interacted before massive crowds on the southern steps of the temple, as hundreds of thousands, not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, are thronging about and the day of Pentecost, and, and suddenly they, they hear all of this? I, I think there's something else that's making them say that these men are drunk. And that's why the title of my sermon today is, It's Nine O'Clock Somewhere. There's there are a few passages in the Old Testament that make a little bit of a reference to something akin to maybe what the phenomenon was about their demeanor as they interacted with one another before the great crowds. In Zechariah nine, it says the Lord of hosts will protect them. They will devour. It's talking about a, a, a battle they were having. They shall devour and they will tread down the sling stones and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine. Not really drunk with wine. He's saying as if they are drunk with wine. And as if they are drunk with wine. They will be so uninhibited. That you will see them just busting out. In some sort of a roaring raucous interactions. One with another. We have something that speaks of this as well in Ephesians. Ephesians 5. Don't get drunk on wine. Which leads to debauchery. Instead. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think, think of all that goes on there, and think of even perhaps if you've ever seen someone, maybe even a movie, maybe, God forbid, it's be even a life um, uh, experience of yours, and, and sadly for me, I've I've had more than a few life experiences of being very, very drunk. And, and I say this not to kind of make light of, of of this whole situation, but I've I've known what it is to to drink to such a degree that my behavior changes radically. I've been arrested four times for drunken disorderly conduct in London, in Daytona Beach, and Virginia Beach in 1988, long time ago, before I was a Christian. <laughs> And, uh, and also in Philadelphia, uh, I've sadly known, known that rather well. I have repented by the way, <laughs> but I've also known those experiences. And, and on many of those times I, I did kind of sing to one another quite a bit. Remember being in the kind of late night McDonald's situations and just, you know, busting out in song and, you know, kind of, Overly demonstrative about you know how much I love you, Chris. Oh you're the greatest. Oh my goodness. Oh bro. And you know, it, it just, you know, just having this kind of uninhibited expression of of love or gratitude. You know, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's very easy to kind of make light of this, which I really don't want to do at this moment, but Even in the construction of the original language, the the two phrases, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the spirit. Those two are actually parallel ideas, but to make sure that they aren't too parallel, he makes sure that he includes, make sure that it's not getting drunk on wine, which, which is a debaucherous expression of backing off of your inhibitions. But when you back off of your inhibitions because of the Spirit, suddenly now you are free of the flesh to be able to express love and power and uh, joy and gratitude without limit. And and this is the great power of the Spirit. By the way, uh, Philo is one of the most famous rabbis of this exact same time. And he writes quite a bit on this idea. Let me me just read one of the things that uh, is written here on this. Now, when grace fills the soul that soul thereby rejoices and smiles and dances for it is possessed and inspired so that to many of the unenlightened, it may seem to be drunken, crazy beside itself. And thus many of the foolish are deceived and suppose that the sober are drunk. And it is true that these sober ones are drunk in a sense. Now, perhaps what was seen at that nine o'clock hour among the apostles Was not this uncanny ability to break out in Russian or, um, Portuguese. Not that those were languages at the time. But, but not that ability. But rather, what they saw was uninhibited love. Uninhibited enthusiasm for the gospel. That as they one with another, being able to just embrace one another, holy kissing one another, sharing about God, being able with without limit at all to just be able to praise the Lord for what it is that he has done. Praise Jesus. He rose. It's all true. Praise the Lord. The Spirit has come. Everything he has promised, it has been brought to bear. It's all true. God is a good God. His covenant has been fulfilled. It is all here for us. And as they have that amazing expression of astounding fulfillment of all that God has done, of course, they, they, they did it in such a way that people are like, uh, you know, how about a little decorum here? You know? Uh, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, proprietary type behavior that should be going on. Maybe a little mismanners would would help these guys a little bit. But you know what that is? That's just... Our prefrontal cortex, our frontal lobe, thinking through the situation and deciding, Nah, you know what? They'll think of me a bit strange if I just let loose right now with the love of Jesus Christ. And while our frontal lobe helped us throughout all of our pre-Christian life, because if I didn't have a frontal lobe in my pre-Christian life, it wouldn't just be four arrest records that I would have. I don't have a record, by the way. Praise God. Uh, it wouldn't just be four arrests that I have. It would be an innumerable amount. It would It would be addiction and de- destruction to an amazing degree. And so, for me, that frontal lobe really pulled me out of a lot of situations that could have been really ugly. And so I began to really rely on the kind of social constraints, the social cues that would help me through any and every given situation. And the, the, the prefrontal cortex, also known as like the executive decision-making center of your brain, it's able to kind of weigh alternatives, have long-term consequences, bring all of that together, um, assess risk-reward, cost-benefit, all of that is kind of going on there. And, and, and because that has hooked me up all the time, I then, in my flesh, Default over to, well, let me let me just go by my, my wonderful prefrontal cortex. Well, you know what my prefrontal cortex does? It keeps me from expressing the love of Jesus. If I'm going to let my flesh, in that sense, really rule the day as, as I have, let's say, a fellowship with Cody after service today, I'll come up to Cody and I will be happy to stay within reasonable bounds of love with him. Nice little side hug. How you doing? Nice to see you at the wedding yesterday. Marriage is great. You guys look happy. Isn't that nice? That's the extent of it. Why? Because that's comfortable. We've established that sort of comfort. We haven't established that comfort, I think, because of the spirit. We've established that comfort because of social cues and social norms. But if we were to really kind of cast off restraint in a good way, cast off the restraint that bottles up and caps the Holy Spirit, and instead leaves room for the spirit to be expressed completely fully. How different does my time with Cody look? When I'm able to really look at him and say, Cody, I respect you so dearly. Oh my goodness, I still cannot believe that when you had that amazing job opportunity coming out of ODU, you chose to to give yourself to these teens instead, to go full-time day and night, to love these guys instead of being able to take that on. And then even when it, when it became apparent that it is probably going to be a better path for you to work secularly, there was no bitterness whatsoever. There was only joy in your heart in anticipation of what God's next chapter will be for you. And then he blessed you and off you went. Now you're doing grand work and still making the biggest difference in our teens. Thank you for serving. You are such a great brother. I love you from the bottom of my heart. How different would our church be if we let the spirit really guide us in every one of our interactions? How about parents? How we would encourage our children? Children, what you might want to be able to say one to another, even to your parents, but you hold back. and uh, That'd be weird if I said that to mom right now. I've never done that. Yes, it would be weird based on decorum, based on social norms. My goodness, pull that away. What does it look like? The other day, as I'm trying to be really keenly aware, am I going about this by my by my my best flesh my my you know executive decision making process as i'm meeting this person at a uh, at a store or am i going about this by the holy spirit am i really being guided by the holy spirit being filled with the spirit and really allowing the spirit to have expression through me this really ridiculously flawed vessel that the spirit has taken hold of and you know what i realized is that i didn't have an invite in my pocket and so I said, "Nah, you know what? I'll I'll come back another time." And I'm walking back to the car and I'm like, "What in the world? I'm trying to like let the Holy Spirit be able to really have have sovereignty in in my stupid little life. And what a great life it would be. Oh my goodness, am I living life to the full because I'm hindered by an invite because my, you know, executive decision making thinks that it won't come across so well without a piece of paper." So I, Ah, I shut the car door. I went back in and I just began to, I was like, you know what? I I know I'm back in here and this may sound strange to you, but I'm I'm here just to see what do you have like anything going on with Jesus? And and is that anything that you've been thinking about in your life? And and the person was like, oh my goodness, I was just talking about this with my boyfriend and this was going on. And we had this like long, long conversation. And the whole time I'm like, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. What life to the full I could be having right now if I didn't keep letting my stupid inhibiting flesh get in the way. And it doesn't matter what it would be, but but whether it's you know loving one another, loving in our families, serving, being able to take care of things. We have a spirit, not of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Also, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm just going to go by the spirit and I'm not going to do my homework and I'm just going to let the spirit take me through the test. No, no, no. It is a spirit of self-discipline. And probably you had a Holy Spirit prompting of, put down the game controller and read the chapter. Read the chapter now. Don't set your alarm for 30 minutes early in the morning. You won't learn it in that amount of time. Put down the game controller. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit, a spirit of self-discipline was prompting you. And I found that to be the case as I've spent this this past year really trying at all turns to be sensitive to what it is that the Holy Spirit wants. And by the way, we don't have to kind of do some sort of a, um, I I don't know, a, um, a kind of a sensationalist experiential uh, mysticism of what is it that the Spirit wants because it wants the will of God. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's, it's rather clear what it is that the spirit has in store for us and it's life to the full that Jesus promises and it's living out the will of Jesus and it's making a great difference. And whether that's me, you know what, putting down the, the binge watching of some Hulu TV series and, and really kind of work on the things that that really going to enrich my life uh, or, or to sit and have great talks with my kids rather than go into escapism some way or another. That's a spirit of self-discipline and love really trying to get through to me. Church. We've got a huge world that is God's harvest. It's all about us. And Jesus has died and risen to give us victory. And he's not just done that. He's also equipped us with the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Jimmy Buffett song, it says, it's half past 12, but I don't care. It's 12 o'clock somewhere. Now, that's about happy hour. I mean, it's it's, uh, five o'clock somewhere in his song. It's half past 12, and I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere. And what what needs to be our motto, no matter where we are, you know what? There's a long line of people and they probably aren't going to appreciate me like having a conversation with this person right now, but I don't care. It's nine o'clock somewhere. You know what? I'm going to talk with Kevin after service today. And, you know, we're used to a, a certain level of intimacy and it's not very deep, but I don't care. It's nine o'clock somewhere. When I drive home with, with my family, you know, they probably don't want to really talk about the sermon and what they learned and what they're going to put into prayer. But I don't care. It's nine o'clock somewhere. I don't know what situations you're going to face. But take this with you. No matter what is coming your way. You've got life to the full awaiting you. You've got experiences where the Holy Spirit is expressed through you that will astound you. And no matter what it is that is trying to say to you, shut your mouth, be normal, dial it back, use a little discretion, say to yourself at those moments every single time, I don't care. It's nine o'clock somewhere. Amen.